Chapter Nine of Montezuma's Daughter by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick Seventy Nine. Chapter Nine. Thomas becomes rich. For many months we heard no more of de Garcia, or of Isabella de Seguenza. Both had vanished, leaving no sign, and we searched for them in vain. As for me, I fell back into my former way of life of assistant to Fonseca, posing before the world as his nephew. But it came about that from the night of my duel with the murderer, my master's health declined steadily through the action of a wasting disease of the liver which, which baffled all skill so that within eight months of that time he lay almost bedridden and at the point of death his mind indeed remained quite clear and on occasions he would even receive those who came to consult him reclining on a chair and wrapped in his embroidered robe but the hand of death lay on him and he knew that it was so as the weeks went by he grew more and more attached to me, till at length, had I been his son, he would not have treated me with any greater affection, while for my part I did what lay in my power to lessen his sufferings, for he would let no other physician near him. At length, when he had grown very feeble, he expressed a desire to see a notary, the man he named was sent for and remained closeted with him for an hour or more when he left for a while to return with several of his clerks who accompanied him to my master's room from which i was excluded presently they all went away bearing some parchments with them that evening fonseca sent for me i found him very weak but cheerful and full of talk oh come here nephew he said i have had a busy day i have been busy all my life through and <laughs> it would not be well to grow idle at the last do you know what i have been doing this day i shook my head i will tell you i have been making a will there is something to leave oh <laughs> not so very much but still something oh do not talk of wills i said i trust that you will live for many years he laughed you must think badly of my case nephew when you think that i can be deceived thus i i am about to die as you know well and i do not fear death my life has been prosperous but not happy for it was blighted in its spring no matter how the story is an old one and not worth telling moreover whichever way it has read it had all been won now in the hour of death we must travel our journey each of us what does it matter if the road has been good or bad when we have reached our goal for my part 
Religion neither comforts nor frightens me now at the last. I will stand or fall upon the record of my life. Oh, I have done evil in it, and I have done good. The evil I have done, because nature and temptation have been too strong for me at times. The good also, because my heart prompted it. Well, it is now finished. And after all, death cannot be so terrible, seeing that every human being is born to undergo it, together with all living things. Whatever else is false, I hold this to be true, that God exists and is more merciful than those who preach him would have us to believe. At that point he ceased and exhausted. Often since then I have thought of his words, and I still think of them now that my own hour is so near. As will be seen, Fonseca was a fatalist, a belief which I do not altogether share, holding as I do that within certain limits we are allowed to shape our own characters and destinies. But his last sayings I believe to be true. God is merciful and death is not so terrible either in its acts or in its consequence. Presently Fonseca spoke again. Why do you lead me to talk of such things? Oh, they weary me, and I have little time. I was telling of my will. Nephew, now listen. Except certain sums that I have given to be spent in charities, not in masses, mind you, I have left you all I possessed. What, you have left it to me? I said, astonished. Yes, nephew, to you. But why not? I have no relations living, and I have learned to love you. I who thought that I could never care again for any man or woman or child— I am grateful to you. You have proved to me that my heart is not dead. Take what I give to you as a mark of my gratitude. Now I began to stammer my thanks, but <laughs> he stopped me. The sum that you will inherit, nephew, amounts in all to about, well, about five thousand gold pesos or perhaps twelve thousand of your English pounds. Enough for a young man to begin life on, even with a wife. Indeed, there in England it may be well held a great fortune, and I think that your betrothed's father will make no more objections to you as a son-in-law. Also, there is this house and all it contains, the library, and the silver are valuable, and you will do well to keep them. All is left to you with the fullest formality, so that no monies, and for the most part the gold lies in strong boxes, so that no question can arise as to your right to take it. Indeed, foreseeing my end, I have of late called in my monies, and for the most part the gold lies in strong boxes in the secret cupboard in the wall yonder, that you know of. 
it would have been more had i known you some years ago for then thinking that i grew too rich who was without an heir i gave away as much as what remains in acts of mercy and in providing refuge for the homeless and the suffering thomas wingfield for the most part of this money has come to me as the fruit of human folly and human wretchedness frailty and sin use it for the purposes of wisdom and the advancing of right and liberty may it prosper you and remind you of me your old master the spanish quack till at last you pass it on to your children or the poor and now one more word if your conscience will let you abandon the pursuit of de garcia take your fortune and go with it to england wed that maid whom you desire and follow that happiness in whatever way it seems best to you who are you that you should meet out vengeance on this knave de garcia let him be and he will avenge himself upon himself otherwise you may undergo such toil and danger and in the end lose love and life and fortune at a blow but i have sworn to kill him i answered and how can i break so solemn an oath how could i sit at home in peace beneath the burden of such shame i do not know it is not for me to judge you must do as you wish but in the doing of it it may happen that you will fall into greater shames than this you have fought the man and he has escaped you let him go if you are wise now bend down and kiss me and bid farewell i do not desire that you should see me die and my death is near i cannot tell if we shall meet again when in your turn you have lain as i lay now or if we shape our course for different stars if so farewell for ever then i leant down and kissed him on the forehead as i did so i wept for not till this hour did i learn how truly i had come to love him so truly that it seemed to me as though my father lay there dying oh weep not he said for all our life is but a parting once i had a son like you and ours is not the bitterest of farewells now i go to seek for him again who would not come back to me so weep not because i die good-bye thomas wingfield may god prosper and protect you now now go so i went weeping and that night before the dawn all was over with andres de fonseca they told me that he was conscious to the end and died murmuring the name of that son of whom he spoke in his last words to me what was the history of this son or of fonseca himself i never learned 
for like an indian he hid his trail as step by step he wandered down the path of life he never spoke of his past and in all the books and documents that he left behind him there was no illusion to it once some years ago i read through the cipher of volumes of records that i have spoken of and of which he gave me the key before he died they stand before me on the shelf as i write and in them are many histories of shame sorrow and evil of faith deluded and innocence betrayed of the cruelty of priests of avarice triumphant over love and of love triumphant over death <laughs> enough enough indeed to furnish half a hundred of true romances but among these chronicles of a generation now past and forgotten there is no mention of fonseca's own name and no hint of his own story it is lost for ever and perhaps well this is well so died my benefactor and best friend when he was ready for burial i went in to see him and he looked calm and beautiful in his death sleep then it was that she who arrayed him for the grave handed to me two portraits most delicately painted on ivory and set in gold which had been found about his neck i have them yet one is of the head of a lady with a sweet and wistful countenance and the other the face of a dead youth also beautiful but very sad doubtless they were mother and son but i know no more about them on the morrow i buried andres de fonseca but with no pomp for he had said that he wished as little money as possible to be spent upon his dead body and returned to the house to meet the notaries then the seals were broken and the parchments read and i was put in full possession of the dead man's wealth and having deducted such sums as were payable in dues legacies and fees the notaries left me bowing humbly for i was not rich yes i was rich wealth had come to me without effort and i had reason to desire it yet this was the saddest night that i had passed since i set foot in spain for my mind was filled with doubts and sorrow and moreover my loneliness got hold of me but sad as it might be it was destined to seem yet more sorrowful before the morning for as i was sat making pretence to eat a servant came to me saying that a woman waited in the outer room who had asked to see her the late master guessing that this was some client who had heard of fonseca's death i was about to order that she should be dismissed then bethought me that i might be of service to her or at least forget some of my own trouble in listening to hers so i bade her bring her in presently she came a tall woman wrapped in a dark cloak that hid her face i bowed and motioned her to be seated when suddenly she started and spoke i asked to see don andre de fonseca she said in a low quick voice you are not he senor andre don fonseca was buried to-day i answered 
I was his assistant in his business, and am his heir. If I can serve you in any way, I am at your disposal. You are, are very young, very young, she murmured confusedly. And the matter is terrible and urgent. How can I trust you? It is for you to judge, Signora. She thought a while, then drew off her cloak, displaying the robes of a nun. Listen, she said, I must do many a penance for this night's work, and very hardly have I won leave to come hither upon an errand of mercy. Now I cannot go back empty-handed, so I must trust you. But first swear thy, by thy blessed mother of God that you will not betray me. I give you my word, I answered. If that is not enough, then let us end this talk. Oh, do not be angry with me, she pleaded. I have not left my convent wall for many years, and I am distraught with grief. I seek a poison of the deadliest. I will pay well for it. I am not the tool of murderers, I answered. For what purpose do you wish this poison? Oh, I must tell you, yet how can I? In our convent there dies to-night a woman young and fair, almost a girl indeed, who has broken the vows she took. She dies to-night with her baby. Thus, oh God, thus, by being built alive into the foundations of the house she has disgraced. It is the judgment that has been passed upon her, judgment without forgiveness or reprieve. I am the abbess of this convent, ask not its name or mine, and I love this sinner as though she were my daughter. I have obtained this much of mercy for her, because of my faithful services to the church, and by secret influence, that when I give her the cup of water before the work is done, I may mix poison with it, and touch the lips of the babe with the poison, so that their end is swift. I may do this, and yet have no sin upon my soul. I have my pardon under seal. Help me, then, to be an innocent murderess, and to save the sinner from the last agonies on earth. I cannot set down the feelings with which I listen to this tale of horror, for words could not carry them. I stood aghast, seeking an answer, and a dreadful thought entered my head. Is this woman named Isabella de Seguenza? I asked. That name was hers in the world, she answered, though how you know it I cannot guess. We know many things in this house, mother. Say now, can this Isabella be saved by money, or by interest? Oh, it is impossible. Her sentence has been confirmed by the Tribunal of Mercy. She must die, and within two hours. Oh, will you not give me the poison? I cannot give you it unless I know its purpose, mother. This may be a barren tale, and the medicine may be used in such a fashion that I should fall beneath the law. At one 
price only I can give it, and it is that I am there to see it used. She thought a while, and answered, It may be done, for as it chances, the wordings of my absolution will cover it. But you must be cowled as a priest, that those who carry out the sentence may know nothing. Still others will know, and I warn you that, should you speak of the matter, you yourself will meet with misfortune. The church avenges itself on those who betray its secrets, as one day its secrets will avenge themselves upon the church, I answered bitterly. And now, let me seek a fitting drug, one that is swift, yet not too swift, lest your hounds should see themselves baffled by the prey before all their devilry is done. Now here is something that will do the work, and I held up a phial that I drew from a case of such medicines. Come, veil yourself, mother, and let us be gone upon this errand of mercy. She obeyed, and presently we left the house and walked away swiftly through the crowded streets till we came to the ancient part of the city along the river's edge. Here the woman led me to a wharf where a boat was waiting for her. We entered it, and were rowed for a mile or more upstream till the boat halted at a landing-place beneath a high wall. Leaving it, we came to a door in a wall on which my companion knocked thrice. Presently a shutter in the woodwork was drawn, and a white face peeped through the grating and spoke. My companion answered in a low voice, and after some delay the door was opened, and I found myself in a large walled garden planted with orange trees. Then the abbess spoke to me again. I have led you to our house, she said. If you know where you are, and what its name is, may be, for your own sake I pray you forget it when you leave these doors. I made no answer, but looked round the dim and dewy garden. Here it was doubtless that de Garcia had met the unfortunate who must die this night. A walk of a hundred paces brought us to another door in the wall of a long low building of Moorish style. Here the knocking and the questionings were repeated at more length. Then the door was opened, and I found myself in a passage ill-lighted, long and narrow, in the depths which I could see the figures of nuns flitting to and fro like bats in a tomb. The abbess walked down the passage till she came to the doors on the right which she opened. It led into a cell, where she left me in the dark. For ten minutes or more I stayed there, a prey to thoughts that I had rather forget. At length the door opened again, and she came in, followed by a tall priest, whose face I could not see, for he was dressed in a white robe and a hood of the Dominicans that led nothing visible except his eyes. "'Greetings, my son,' he said, when he had scanned me for a while. "'The abbess mother has told me of your errand. You are full young for such a task.' 
were i old i should not love it better father you know the case i am asked to provide a deadly drug for a certain merciful purpose i have provided that drug but i must be there to see that it is put to proper use you are very cautious my son the church is no murderess this woman must die because her sin is flagrant and of late such wickedness has become common therefore after much thought and prayer and many searchings to find a means of mercy she is condemned to death by those whose names are too high to be spoken i alas am here to see the sentence carried out with a certain mitigation which has been allowed by the mercy of the chief judge it seems that your presence is needful to this act of love therefore i suffer it the mother abbess has warned you that evil dogs the feet of those who reveal the secrets of the church your own sake i pray you to lay that warning to heart i am no babbler father so the caution is not needed one word more this visit should be well feed the medicine is costly oh fear not physician the monk answered and a note of scorn in his voice name your sum it should be paid you i ask no money father indeed i would pay much to be far away to-night i ask only that i may be allowed to speak with this girl before she dies what he said starting surely you are not that wicked man if so you are bold indeed to risk the sharing of her fate no father i am not that man i never saw isabella de seguenza except once and i have never spoken to her i am not the man who tricked her but i know him he is named juan de garcia ah he said quickly she would never tell his real name even under threat of torture poor erring soul she could be faithful in her unfaith of what would you speak to her i wish to ask her whither this man has gone he is my enemy and i would follow him as i have already followed him this far he has done worse by me and mine than by this girl even grant my request father that i may be able to work my vengeance on him and with mine the church's also vengeance is mine saith the lord i will repay yet it may be son that the lord will choose you as the instrument of his wrath an opportunity shall be given to you to speak with her now put on this dress and he handed me a white dominican hood and robe and follow me first i said let me give this medicine to the abbess for i will have no hand in its administering take it mother and when the time comes pour the contents of the phial into the cup then having touch the mouth the tongue of the babe with the fluid give it to the mother to drink and be sure that she does drink it 
before the bricks are built up about them both will sleep sound never to awake again i will do it murmured the abbess having absolution i will be bold and do it for love and mercy's sake oh your heart is too soft sister justice is mercy said the monk with a sigh alas for the frailty of the flesh that wars against the spirit then i clothed myself in the ghastly looking dress and they took lamps and motioned to me to follow them end of chapter 9 recording by patrick 79